2: Let's get into the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. Literally, in all seriousness, you just came back from Santa Clara. Update yes. us. What's going on? Well, Brock Purdy spoke
3: today, and so did Chris Forster, Steve Wilkes, and then they opened up the locker room. I went in there, had a chance to talk to a couple of the old linemen, Ben Barch, Colton uh a couple of the defensive players. You know, I mean, the 49ers, uh, Brock owned it. You know, he's like, hey, look, it was a bad game. Uh, he felt like they had a good plan. Um he never really seemed rattled but he definitely didn't you know he said it was glad that it happened in a game that didn't cost them the whole season. When I say it I mean where he had four turnovers and and um and yet if you look closely at that game you know you could see that the Niners had 230 yards of offense in the first half um and and outside of the you know the three turnovers um, they were doing whatever they wanted offensively and defensively. Then the third quarter happened, and it was just an absolute disaster. Um, and um, but the Niners could have had 500 total yards against the number one defense in the league. And if you take away those, you know, take away the turnovers, you'd be sitting there going, "Wow, this 49er offense kind of lit up this Ravens number one defense." So you know what I mean? It's like we're we're all about the result. And we should be, because that's what really matters, is the result. They lost the game. They turned it over five times. They had a hundred plus yards of penalties. But if you, you know, get beyond the, you know, the game plan's trash, Kyle's gotta go, Brock's not the guy, and all the knee-jerk kind of idiocy that you hear in the twenty-four hours after an emotional loss, and you get down to the tape and you roll that thing back and forth, you realize the Niners did a lot of good things offensively. They ran it at will. They ran for over 7 yards a carry. They had they they were on their way to 500 yards of offense against a really good D. Um but the Ray you got to credit McDonald, I think, the the Ravens defensive coordinator for understanding watching the film and understanding that the Niners um you know do have a lot of condensed formations. And so that lets the corners have a better chance to actually get to the quarterback from a corner blitz. They're not way out wide on some plays. And that's what happened in this game. They they blitzed a couple corners off the edges. They created some pressure. They sped up Brock. Uh, Stevens made an amazing play to bat that one down, and Humphrey caught it. So, uh, And then they flooded the areas where they thought Brock was going to throw to with bodies, They dropped Hamilton deep, read the quarterback's eyes, and made plays on the ball. So now can the Niners adjust is the question. When you talk
2: about adjusting, and if the two teams were to meet again, I get the sense that there was such finality following that game that I had to remind myself this wasn't the end of the season. This wasn't the playoffs. You had that sort of, the air went out of the room that, oh wow, you know, typically when you lose this late and you lose that convincingly, it's usually the end of the season. right? But I think the way they lost might be, constructively speaking here, the best thing that could happen to the 49ers. Because now you have the wake-up call. And I think the 49ers, if you're going to buy into this, they got punched in the mouth and they they can't play against teams out of the AFC North, that being Cleveland and obviously what Baltimore did to them. You can, you know, I don't know that I can hang my hat on that. Because I don't know really what that means at the end of the day. I think they got a little physical with the wide receivers, so the you know, Baltimore wasn't letting the wideouts get to their spots. There's a lot of things we can break down, but I think a rematch just to get ahead of myself. If they're to see themselves, if they're to meet Baltimore again in the Super Bowl, that was the wake-up call. And let's listen. Baltimore doesn't dominate everybody. The Rams took that team in overtime. Yeah, right? if it wasn't for a
3: return. Uh, at the very in, in overtime, the Rams could have beaten the Ravens, and that game was in
2: Baltimore. Exactly, and so this idea that they're you know light years behind the Baltimore Ravens, we all need to check ourselves. I do want to start with the interceptions on a couple of levels. First of all, I think like there's way too much emphasis statistically when people pick up a stat sheet and see oh three, four interceptions. Listen, you have to break down interceptions individually because the five picks don't sound, you know, that's that's not very that's not very appealing for any any quarterback and one of those is on Sam Darnold but Sam Darnold's a perfect example. Yes, it's an interception, but it's fourth and goal. It's desperation time. He's got to throw it into a crowd. That's a pick and you can hang that on Sam Darnold. But the point being is that I I don't think it's a reflection on Brock Purdy. Uh, forget about the MVP talk. I don't even buy into that sort of nonsense, but It's not a referendum on that this guy is not the quarterback we thought he could be. He is still the best quarterback that Kyle Shanahan has had in his tenure, in his seven years with the San Francisco 49ers. And if you want to win that Super Bowl, he's still the guy that is obviously perfectly suited to get the job done. Just talk about his performance and sort of where we're at and sort of the the overall perception, and I'm talking coast to coast, that a lot of people were waiting for this, including Micah Parsons, that is shooting some verbal darts, like, everybody's sort of this, I told you so.
3: Well, I mean, you know, it is what it is, right? So, first of all, you got to just accept it. You had four picks, the game's over, nothing's going to change that. But, to me, it was more like a two-pick day. It was two picks and two bad bounces. If if the ball bounces in a different direction, it's an incompletion. Now, you could have made an argument that Brock could have thrown five picks instead of four, because he did have... One one ball that could have been caught by the Ravens. But um, I look at it as, you know, a Raven defense, or first of all, a Ravens team that has a lot of really good players in the middle of the field. You've got Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, fantastic linebacker duo. They cover a ton of space. Um, and then they understood what the Niners did. So they didn't blitz off the middle because then you give Brock a hot read in the middle of the field. So they kind of understood that Brock likes to throw the ball in the middle of the field and don't give him a defined read by blitzing him in the middle of the field and letting him throw it right behind you. So they blitzed off the edges and they dropped their linebackers deeper and they had Hamilton with a very deep drop and he was just reading the quarterback's eyes. And they just they, they have a lot of good players in the middle of the field. Stone from Iowa's is a great ball hawk. Hamilton is one of the great young players in the league. Blue chipper out of Notre Dame, which just been phenomenal. Is he a nickelback? Is he a corner? Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? I mean, in reality, he's have anything he wants to be. 6'4", 220, great speed and they just have a lot of good personnel in the middle of the field and they had a great plan and they watched the film and they and they read Brock's tendencies and they tried to be in the windows that they anticipated that he would throw into but this idea that you know he's a spot thrower and they've now found the secret we're going to find out i think to me the way the ravens won this game um, Dan is going to really be interesting as far as the next game. I think there's a lot more juice now on this Commanders game, and we can talk about it. And it puts a lot of emphasis on this safety Cameron Curl of the Commanders, in that Brock's going to, you know, is it a copycat league? Did the. Call from mom.
0: Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: Do the Ravens put something on film uh, by how they defended Brock that other teams are going to copy? And do the Niners have a solution? Do they have the answers? That's really the big question going into this game. Kind of like the way Nick Bosa said, Hey man, when we rushed Hertz, We gave the Cowboys a template, and then the Cowboys did a really nice job the next week against Hurts, kind of rushing as one. We'll see if the Commanders or Rams uh, got something, gleaned something from that Raven tape that they can repeat, and we'll see if it continues to bother Purdy.
2: But don't you think that the back four, I always start with up front, and if you you speed up any quarterback, that's obviously going to benefit your your safeties and, and your corners. The question then becomes... To me, I am a big, you know. As Keith Jackson used to say, "the big uglies up front." That, that the trenches will will tell you everything you need to know. It's not so much the blitzing off the edges, but the fact that Baltimore was getting home with their base four. What's your level of concern with the O line going forward?
3: I mean, huge because um, you know Chris Forster told us an hour and a half ago. Something that we already knew, which was that Spencer Burford really struggled mightily at right tackle. Now, why? You know, he hasn't played there a lot. Uh, does he have the, you know, the f- foot quickness to deal with speed off the edge? I mean, these are all kinds of like questions. We don't know the state. We don't know who's going to be where. Uh, Trent has got a groin injury. Is he going to go or not? Um, you know, I don't know that we have definitive answers on who's going to wind up going in this game and who's gonna who's going to not go. But um, to me, that's a big one. Is Jalen Moore going to play tackle if if Trent can't go? And if not, I mean, they're going to have to get creative on their. They made some moves. They brought they resigned Matt Pryor. Um, you know, Barch played left guard in this game. If Banks can't go, does Barch play left guard? I think the only thing that's for sure is that Jake Brendel's going to play center against the Commanders. Everything else is very much up in the air. And
2: that's a scary proposition
3: yes. for anybody. I guess especially against Daron Payne and Jonathan Allen and um you know two, one of the better tackle tandems in the game. So yeah, I mean that's that's going to be the big question going into Sunday is what is the 49ers offensive line alignment left to right and then who's up? Who are the backups? and then who plays where if they have an injury in that game. I mean, This is going to be an all-hands-on-deck kind of a game.
2: You know, earlier in the week, I was doing a show with Lucas, and my sort of knee-jerk reaction was I felt Kyle Shanahan just got away from from a running game, which I thought that it might be something that would be sort of his go-to, at least early on in this game. Although they did move the football, but uh, did did you – was there a sense that this is one of those big games that, that Kyle Shanahan sort of overthought? Like There's a tendency when you get into a Christmas Day game and the whole world's watching that you come up with a wrinkle. And the fact that he, he didn't take the ball out of Purdy's hands, even when Purdy was getting sped up, and even with McCaffrey gashing on the few times he carried the ball early on in the contest, that dominating clock running the football could have changed the entire complexion of that contest
3: well i mean it's uh, i and i asked kyle this question yesterday i said hey you know kyle you you're going up against a team in the ravens who were dead last in the nfl in like four different categories at defending um Running, you know, the two running back sets, twenty-one, not to get too esoteric, but twenty-one personnel, twenty-two personnel with the fullback on the field. The Ravens were dead last in like four categories, and they were like fourth worst in a fourth category. That was their weakness on paper. And then you look at the beginning of that game; they had they had a two to one pass run ratio. They had ten. Passes and five runs in the first quarter, and he kind of explained it and just said, "Well, you know, we did this, and, we, and then we did that, and then we ran this play, we ran that play," but it didn't really address the overarching question, which is you had a major advantage running the ball. You finished the game averaging over seven yards a carry, I believe, for 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 CMC, and a close to seven yards a carry as a team, and you didn't run the ball nearly as much as you could. You had 14 carries for McCaffrey. He's had as many as 22 in a game this year. I would have liked to have seen him have seven or eight more carries. would have liked to have seen Debo have four or five more carries. would have liked to have seen Jordan Mason run the ball. would have liked to have seen, especially after the first pick, I would have liked to have seen them have a run-dominant um, uh, you know, plan instead of offensive balance. He's always trying to achieve offensive balance. So... I did ask him that, um, and he didn't necessarily give me a straight, straight, direct answer. He kind of explained how they arrived at 10 passes and five runs in the first quarter, but that didn't really answer the question. Your advantage was that you could run it at them. You ran it at them with success, and yet you only had 14 runs for a guy who could be the MVP.
2: He had no concern with balance back in 2019 in that playoff run when he had no confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo in that NFC Championship game against the Packers, which I think he threw it some nine times and just said, after his first three passes, like, I'm just taking the keys out of your hands. We're going to run the football because I'm sure as hell not letting you lose this thing. I think it's interesting that when you hear Kyle Shanahan, to your point in the postgame, he still has confidence in his quarterback. While everybody else is saying he got rattled, and we've seen him before when he's talked about Jimmy Garoppolo, that there isn't the same sort of sense of I've still got this guy's back and I still have not seen enough for me to change our offensive philosophy. I think listening to Kyle Shanahan's post-game comments about his quarterback where he continues to defend him, and I think he can be a little bit more – he's 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 more contrite if he feels as though you know we need to go in another direction in terms of not making him uh, throw the footballs frequently or I put him in bad positions, those were bad – he he let you know that the first pass was was pretty much ill advised, but everything else he defended, which tells me that he still believes that Brock Purdy is is his guy and one of the one of the premier quarterbacks. Not only that he's had, but I think in the NFL, I think his post game comments concerning the quarterback uh, tells a lot as far as Kyle Shanahan still has a high level of confidence in the young guy.
3: Well, oh, I mean, and he should. I mean, let's look at what Brock Purdy's numbers looked like going into that Raven game. In the six, the Niners had won six in a row. He had a 138.1 passer rating. He had thrown 17 touchdowns and two picks, and his yards per attempt was 11.0. Those are gaudy, fat, dominating numbers. I mean, during the six game winning streak, he had a passer rating of 130 of at least 130 in the, in the six games. So that would be tied for the highest passer rating ever in a season. Um, so, I mean, it, there's reason that he has confidence in Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's had a really good year and put up really good numbers. But all I would say to counter that would be like, okay, but this Ravens defense did have does have really good football players in the middle of the field. You already have thrown an interception. You have the best running back in all of football. And they have a good front that can get after the quarterback, and they've already shown you some creative blitzes. You may want to maybe have a run dominant game. Um, you know, and and this is something that Shanahan has been criticized for in the past. He did he run it enough in the Super Bowl as the OC when they blew the twenty-eight three lead uh to the Patriots. Probably not. But you know the other the and then the other issue is your line is a run blocking unit versus a pass blocking unit so you know maybe he feels um like he was one to achieve balance the other thing in his defense is that the niners did break off a bunch of big pass plays i mean yeah they turned no, it over but it wasn't like they couldn't throw the ball they were throwing the ball and having success and making some plays so he probably just didn't see it as a as a a game where they needed to take the air out of the ball and and run it and run it and run it some more. But in hindsight, it really looked like, man, the Ravens had a lot of bodies in the windows. They did a great job. They watched the film. They knew Brock's tendencies. They knew kind of where he was going to throw to, and they crowded those spots with lots of bodies. And even Brock said it after the game. He said, hey, you know what? Looking back at this game, the windows were really tight. So yeah, the windows that he wanted to throw in that normally are wide open in this game were tighter and ultimately it resulted in and then the bad bounce of a couple footballs and suddenly you've got four picks.
2: And I know one of the picks that people go after him is the one where he threw across his body, which is ill-advised. The third, anybody, the third one. The, the third one, which is I mean, anybody will tell you, growing up at the high school, even before high school, that you never want to roll right and throw back left for a right-handed quarterback. You never want to throw across your body to the middle of the field. That's true, but would you not would you not admit or at least recognize that that's happening with a more high-level... It's, it's happening more frequently than ever before in the NFL. I don't know if that's attributed to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Lamar Jackson did that very thing, rolling to his left, and he threw back right, and I think he hit lively on a play in that first half, I'm not, it was ill-advised, but if you're a playmaker, I think that you're seeing a lot more that and a lot more of it being accepted. I know, generally speaking, you're not supposed to do that as a quarterback, right? That's quarterback 101, but you're seeing a lot more of it, and you're also seeing coaches, again, I'm not in the locker room, but it seems to be more of a, a sense of acceptability than ever before.
3: Yeah, I mean, make. A, he's thinking make a, on that play to Kittle. He's thinking make a play, make a play, make a play. The question was, did he see the flags on the ground? Well, that's a whole other story. And he did. He said he admitted that he saw those flags, but he doesn't know if those flags are for defensive holds or if they're for offensive holding or if it's on his team or if it's on the Raven team. So he's thinking make a play, make a play, make a play. In hindsight. Once those flags are on the field, you probably should have thought about throwing it into the turf, right? Um, If you knew that the flags were on your team, you would have done that. But if you think you got a free play, now you're wanting to take a chance. So I don't think he had a sense of uh, what those flags were on. He did see them. Um, But anytime you're late in the middle of the field while you're moving at an angle, somebody could be reading your eyes. Uh, The Ravens also have really good football players in the middle of the field. I mean, on all levels. They're good inside up front. They're good inside on that second level. They're great in front on that second level. And they're dominating inside on the third level. So, um, you know, I just don't like, to me, interceptions, you said it early, they have to be evaluated, each one. If you just don't have an account of the defenders or you're just throwing into a crowd late in the middle of the field, those are bad. But on tip balls that get tipped, that could go tipped into the ground, but then instead they get tipped up into the air and the de- defense picks it off. I mean, it's a bad break, but the, it's like these interceptions can be evaluated independently.
2: Oh, I would agree entirely. And I think when you do that, you, you recognize that Brock Purdy is, is still an exceptional quarterback and didn't have that bad of a game, as ridiculous as that might sound. I guess the point is, and I'll move off of this. Is that it's in a weird way is you know, you want your cake and eat it too when it comes to not you specifically, but when it comes to Kyle Shanahan's guilty of this, that he's a risk taker and there's some of these oh no throws as he threw he's thrown touchdown passes that Kyle Shanahan's like, Oh my god, where are we going with that football? And he's he's had credit, people have given him credit for the fact that he's He's fitted into tight windows or made those quote-unquote ill-advised throws, but he's got a little Brett Favre swagger to him. So when he throws that pick, I mean, it's we sort of created that monster to a certain degree. But just getting back to Brock Purdy, and just before we get to the break, you know, we could talk about uh, his throwing percentage and all the numbers that you laid out that are still MVP-esque, but don't you think he has to win one of these ugly games, a rock fight, where you get punched in the face, you throw a couple of picks, but still make a play to win a game? Whether it's coming from behind, the game, the 49ers have a tendency to be front runners. I think what you need to see from Brock Purdy, forget about the stats, forget about all that crap, forget about being up by two touchdowns. When you're an ugly game against one of those teams that wants to punch you in the mouth, do you have what it takes when you're sped up and having to throw from different levels, can you still be effective? I think is where he's at it. I don't know if he's crossed that threshold yet.
3: I think you can make the same argument about Shanahan. I mean, look at Shanahan's record when he trails by three in the fourth quarter. But you're right. I mean, would we be saying this if Jake Moody made the 41-yard field goal in Cleveland? Or if Shanahan ran one more play in the 41-yarder, wasn't a 41-yarder, but more like a 28-yarder, and he nails it? Would we be saying the same thing or would we be saying, oh, well, no, we did lead them from behind in that disastrous day on the road when it rained in Cleveland and everything went wrong and they lost Trent and Debo and Iuke or uh, uh, Debo and uh, McCaffrey in that game. You know, that was an opportunity. But I think the bigger, you know, I think I think he does have to. I mean, to answer your question directly, yeah, I think you have to win um, a messy game. You got to win a game where there's lots of adversity. And the 49ers, I think, as a team, have to kind of show that they can win that, that game that just doesn't go right, things don't go well, and it's close, and it's nip and tuck to the end, and they pull it out. They haven't typically done that under Shanahan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive
1: Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.